Hello and welcome back to Control Alt Delete Podcast. My guest today is the amazing Jessie Burton, the author of the Sunday Times bestselling novels The Miniaturist, which sold over a million copies in its first year of publication, The Muse and The Confession. She wrote a children's book called The Restless Girls and she has a dazzling feminist retelling of Medusa out now. Her novels have been translated into over 38 languages. She's a regular essay writer and she's one of my favourite authors to follow on Instagram for her writing advice, colourful interiors and pictures of her cat, of course. In this episode, we discuss bringing alive the story of Medusa for a new generation. We discuss her wonderful novels, her writing over the years, her relationship with success and social media and so much more. I absolutely loved this conversation and I hope you do too. So welcome Jessie Burton to the podcast. I've wanted to talk to you for a long time so I'm really excited about this. Well thank you very much for having me. You've been so prolific over the years. I saw that you did a bit of a reflective Instagram post recently about a big milestone birthday that you were coming up to and just reflecting on how many books you've written over the last few years I mean how does it feel because you've had your first children's book come out the restless girls Medusa which we'll talk about today and I read the confession I loved it I mean there's just you know you've produced so much Mm, I think it well yeah because the first novel was published 2014 and and Medusa will be book five and then there'll be one in 2022 which is the House of Fortunes, that's six, six in eight years. Um, I mean, one of them, that's a bit of a cheat because I was writing it before it was published, obviously. But um, yeah, it feels um, quite a lot to have done <laughs> in, in a relatively short space of time. And I'm always thinking, well, when I finish a book, I'm just like, I'm never doing that again. That was hell, hell on earth. And then about three weeks later, I'm like, well, obviously I've got to write something now because that's what I do. Um, but I... I think, you know, a lot of the time I was signing contracts for two books and it's, you know, on a more sort of prosaic level, it's how I make my living. And I'm a very sort of, I've got a bit of a good girl attitude. And if I've said, I'll write you a book, I'll write you a book, (laughs) despite all my reservation. Um, But yeah, I think I'd like to sort of take a little bit more time now. I think it was like a sense of consolidating what had happened with my first novel, The Miniaturist, and sort of not wanting to just be known as the Dutch Dolls House Girl and knowing that I had other things I wanted to say and write. So um, that's, it's just sort of happened quite consistently. Yeah, because I suppose you're someone who I really admire in taking your time with your projects. And I think that's why sometimes it's a moment of reflection. And you're like, oh, my God, like I have done all that stuff, even though it might not have seemed quick. But with Medusa and some other projects you've taken on, what does make you say yes to something? Because I know sometimes you're approached as a writer to work on something versus working on it because you have the idea and want to do it yourself how do you what's your criteria for it being a yes yeah it's a good question I mean I think I've been very lucky in my career so far in the sense that I've been able to say to my publishers well this is the book I want to write now you know and and I want to write something set in the Spanish Civil War or contemporaneously reflecting on motherhood and then saying you know you know I've always wanted to write for children so I'm going to do that I just have this sort of theory that you can only really write what's there what's either ready waiting inside of you 
or something that you want to chip away at or work on. I mean, none of the projects have really been proposed to me. I've, I've sort of proposed them myself. That said, with the um, children's books, with Bloomsbury Children's, they were, uh, Ellen Holgate at Bloomsbury did approach me and say, have you ever been interested in writing for children? And I always have been. And she was looking for retellings of fairy tales or myths for a, a modern audience, a modern reader. But I sort of was the one that kind of landed on The Restless Girls or The Dancing Princesses and then, of course, Medusa. I just think writing is very difficult. And I think it's very, very hard to sustain the discipline, the self-belief, the enthusiasm. And a lot of those just go by the wayside. And really all that's left is bloody mindedness. (laughs) You really do have to want to do what you're doing, want to write about what you're writing. It has to have a fire in it. So I only ever write what inflames that passion. And I always think when I finish, well, you know, you feel very spent, as I'm sure you know yourself. You just feel like, well, I can't, I can't do that again. I've done. I've said, I've said everything I want to say. And then maybe it will be three months or three weeks or three years, who knows? And then the well gradually fills again. And there's this itch, there's this self inside of you that that needs to express herself and you think it's going to be quite a I suppose integrated experience because it's all in your mind it's all there it's all set and then of course the experience of trying to translate it to the page and trying to communicate it to a reader in real time is is the great challenge oh completely that's so well answered because I always struggle with sometimes having too many small ideas and you're so right (laughs) in order to commit you kind of have to be obsessed because otherwise how are you gonna Mm. sustain that that process and so with Medusa let's talk about that first because it's Mm. so amazing I just told you I I cried at the end it's beautiful (laughs) it really took me back to being on a school trip when I first learned about the story and to be retold in this way through your voice and through the modern retelling it was incredible mm. I mean what was it thank you what was that like this it's and working with the yeah. illustrator as well oh yeah I mean actually I think Medusa is probably the most fluid book I've written in the sense that it was just there it flowed out it was her voice was very easy to find this intimate yet quite epic and sort of self-possessed voice is very tempting to write somebody who's been there done that but also has a tenderness for her younger self who is very vulnerable I'm a big fan of illustration as well like I love illustrated books so the privilege of having these paintings by Olivia Lominette Gill who was the right fit for the book because whereas my first children's book was quite contained like quite fairy tale like jewel-like and sort of detailed Olivia's paintings are they kind of break beyond the boundary and they're quite wild and she sort of just took it and ran with it but the story of Medusa is just so perfect I think for our day and age in the sense of all we really know is this woman with a head of snakes and this kind of terrifying visage and basically connotations of negativity or or in in the most positive light you could say oh well the kind of harnessing of feminine rage but 
when you look into the sources, there's just so little about her, like who she was and why she was turned into a monster or a gorgon. And I thought that's just so interesting, this idea. And I think all of us have had it as women that you get objectified for your, your looks or, you know, your qualities of um, people pleasing or obedience or beauty or docility. And then if you try and resist that and break out of it, it unsettles the world order and, and oftentimes you get punished for it. And in her case, she gets punished very cruelly and, and then becomes ugly and a monster and isolated and rejected because she's tried to sort of resist. And I thought that's a, just a really interesting and, and resonant tale for so many of us who sometimes feel like it all works if we behave ourselves, if we say yes and, oh, yes, no, I'm fine. And, oh, you know, you know, thinking about what you look like and all of that sort of thing. And we, you know, society puts such a value on that. And so it was good to write someone who has kind of walked through the fire. Still, you know, <laughs> still a gorgon with a head of snakes, but that was fun as well to make the snakes kind of part of her power rather than a burden. Totally, because being told what you are versus what you feel you are, I feel like is the most relatable thing that all of us have, that you're kind of yeah. pushing and pulling against how you're publicly perceived or how you really feel. And I always thought Medusa mm. was quite scary. So for that to be turned on its head and be like, why was I judging through that <laughs> lens? Being told probably through a bit of a patriarchal lens as well when I was yeah, learning about it. Definitely, because it's like, you know, the, in the most sort of simplified way, you're you're the virgin or the whore or the, you know, the virago or the, the witch when you get older and you're sort of de-sexed. Um, and we grow up in that culture. We, you know, in our movies, in our books. And of course, of course, there's like a counter argument to it always. But, you know, I grew up in that dominant, that culture that, you know, valued prettiness and beauty and looking good and you know the problem is with it is that girls learn and boys but mainly girls that it works like being obliging <laughs> you it oils the cogs of your life and being difficult you get labeled and that's hard and it's it's so unfair but and I don't think this book seeks to sort of and I certainly don't, as an artist, seek to say, well, I've got the answers. It's just a kind of presentation of the um, difficulties that I think young women face. Definitely. And we're still in that time of people even questioning why a character is unlikable and what unlikable mm. means. And it just seems like we need to move past that now. But I wondered with <laughs> yeah. with your, you know, with all your books kind of sitting next to each other, it does feel like women taking up space is a theme in all of them in their own in its own special way would, would you say yeah I would agree with that and it's not something I necessarily noticed like I'm always quite wary of like watching my books or my work from the outside because then you can you know you start to kind of pastiche your own <laughs> your own um, tendencies but I yeah I really notice it and I, I noticed it with the miniaturist, you know, I've literally created this boundary space, this house where the women are not um, confined by society's expectations of behavior. 
and then the the muse which is you know one writer's journey to sort of finding her voice and um another a woman painter who sort of hides behind a man's name in order to flourish and avoid all the sort of gender crap that she has to deal with and then yeah the confession and is very feminine centered but I don't it's never it's never been that deliberate I just I just did it and I I don't know I think sometimes I think of it like in my old days when I was an actress I think I wrote some of these parts and I call them parts kind of hoping you know one day, not not realistically, but that, you know, these are the kind of things I'd love to have acted and been. And I definitely found that with the miniatures, that there were so many actresses who wanted to play the character of Marin, who was just quite straight talking. And, and then when I've got Connie Holden in The Confession, who's a 73-year-old novelist who doesn't care what anybody thinks, like, that is just like my her. dream. Yeah. I don't want to care. I don't want to care what <laughs> think about me, but I do because I'm human and it's 2021. <laughs> um but yeah, I don't, I don't I, it's never been like deliberate, deliberate, but it's definitely quite liberating to write characters who are women or young girls who have a fantastical in t- at times sense of self-possession. It's like um, an idealist view. And there are some women like that, you know, God bless them, <laughs> lucky them. <laughs> So that's why creating worlds is so amazing and magical because I guess you do get to sprinkle a little bit of your own fantasy in there if you I don't know want to be more like your characters or less like some characters it's just your books are so Mm. you just get so lost in them and I love the confession I've got to say that was a recent holiday read and I just wanted to be all of them but (laughs) I, I thought we could touch on the miniatures slightly if you don't mind just because I do find it fascinating now thinking how on earth was that your first book you know it's mm. it's incredible but also I li- re-listened to your episode on how to fail again recently and it was so interesting hearing you talk about how there's this assumption sometimes when a book is a bestseller that someone is a seasoned pro it's normal actually for a best-selling book to be like a fifth book of someone you know that's normally the trajectory but how did it feel for people to assume that you were just this confident, you know, publicity machine at that time? Because you you really weren't. Mm. No, I definitely wasn't. It was a very complicated experience because, um, and obviously in the moments of it, I was not processing it. It wasn't until six or seven months afterwards that I could look back and go, what the hell just happened to me? And I think because I was an actress and I'd acted since professionally since I was 15, there was an assumption that I would be very good talking publicly. And I'm not bad, but it was always playing a part when I was public. And and I was suddenly thrust into the limelight as myself. And of course, I think the majority of writers like writing novels or whatever it is that they write as their contribution to society, their offering in lieu of themselves, you know, saying stuff and and doing all of that business. And so I, it kind of just exposed a lot of vulnerabilities in me that I didn't really know were there. That was very hard to deal with. And I think because it was, it was objectively a success, the novel was very successful, but the novel was, and I was its sort of, like representative but I didn't sort of feel up to it like I just like well no no the book the book is says everything that you need to know 
And yeah, there was a natural tendency in people to sort of imbue me with authority. How do I write a bestseller? How do I do this? How do you do that? And I kind of just function really more from a place of curiosity or doubt or not knowing or exploring a question that I want to ask. And the book is the answer, always an unfinished one. So I really bridled and was quite wary of the idea that I was going to suddenly become a spokesperson for fiction or for how to write. I mean, that was my idea of hell. And because I thought that that would really put the brakes on my own creative process, especially so early in my career. And I knew I wanted a long term career writing. I knew I had other things I wanted to do. And you sort of become a bit of a performing mm-hmm. seal. You yeah. just do the same thing. You say the same thing. And, and it's hard because at the same time, and looking back, I really, you know, I was so lucky. There was so much, you know, publicity and, and things to do and in different countries. But it was all so much in one go. But I've come to really appreciate what happened and to understand that it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. But it was also the hardest And sometimes you can't deal with that in real time. And I've learned a lot. And I've learned that I think I sometimes felt dwarfed by the book um, as if it was like a sibling (laughs) or like, you know, this, this classier, better, brighter member of my family that everybody wanted to know about. And and (laughs) it's quite hard to explain, but I sort of feel on a bit more of an equilibrium with it now, but it wasn't, um, comfortable. And I, you know, I've read different, you know, certain it happening to other people as well. And it, it's so reassuring to know that that's how they felt too. Just like really just not, not up to the task really. Yeah. And feeling guilty about that. It's funny. Like I just didn't realize how beloved it was as a book until I went and did the Muse tour. I just didn't realize just how people loved it as this book. And, and that, you know, now I can be a bit more in control of it, I think, and grateful to it and not like, oh, my God, I have to talk about the interest again. <laughs> I can talk about it now quite comfortably. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, because I, I do think it is it must be strange when someone's almost trying to make you play your favorite album over and over and over again. And it's like <laughs> when you're a creator, you know, you, the reason you yeah. do it is because you want to excite yourself as well. But also you're, yeah. it's a rare experience, like not many people will ever feel what you felt, you know, very small amount of people. So to, to understand how that feels is just so fascinating. And we need to talk about this weird co- way in society that we think someone is just set for life when they're successful. It's much more layered than that. It is much more layered. And it's, you know, I think I realise now that it's like anything in life. You think, oh, getting married or having a child or being published, that, that there's going to be a sort of stopper on your existence. And then you realise, oh, God, it carries on. And um, I th- I've described it before as exhaustion of arrival and this, um, you know, this sense of acute fatigue, that this is something that I've been aiming for my, a long time in my life. And I thought it would sort of solve me. It would sort of, you know, I don't know why I was so naive, but I suppose because in our society, we do think of things like that, like you, it's achievements and milestones and goals and they're flags that you drive into the sand and then apparently things end, but they don't. And, you know, I think the anxiety of successful people can often be maintaining it. 
And I think I had to make peace. I know that like it's very unlikely that any book I write subsequently will have that um, that sort of speed of impact and 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 reach. But and that's quite weird for it to happen with your first book. Um, and I think we live in a culture where it is, you know, debuts get very splashed around and, you know, and I've really come to respect and I did already, but like in terms of like the business side, novelists who are on their like 16th, 17th novel and are in their 50s and 60s and they're still producing amazing work because that is a huge achievement. That's more impressive to me. Um than a debut success has your personal definition of success changed over the years would you say have you arrived at a new definition i think actually it was always quite true which was to write good books and my my concept or my perception of success it is has remained the same which is that somebody will reach into her pocket and pay for a novel of mine like I just that blows my mind and that was you know to have readers and to have people who say oh god oh no I'm an auto you're an auto buy like if I see you've written a book I'll buy it you know that is like I'll never get tired of that and I'll never not be grateful for that and that for me is the that's what success is is in a very busy world that people will in their lives take the time out and and seek out a novel by me to give them pleasure or escapism you know like that 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 is success um and the way that that's maintained is is really ironically by ignoring a lot of the other trappings of success which is garlands and time out you know doing glamorous things not that i do (laughs) i do those things really you don't really do them much as novelists but you know what I mean like yeah. having your head turned a bit yes well you have done very glamorous things I mean I saw you in Vogue <laughs> Jesse. um oh <laughs> many moons ago Emma many moons ago <laughs> but talking of the the trappings and this is you know obviously a caveat that you know you've already said extremely grateful for everything but as you get more popular as you get more successful and busy I feel a lot of writers say then you get less time to actually write Mm. so many emails and so many things I mean you seem quite good at that I'm just assuming because um I don't know you you didn't (laughs) see an email I remember we were talking about and I was like god I check my emails every five seconds are you quite good at creating that space for yourself you know it is your job after all yeah, I think I've got, I mean, <laughs> one of, I sometimes do um, ask me anything on Instagram and like I'm often asked, what's your process? What's your writing routine? Like I'm like, oh, lol, if you only knew, I'm still in my pajamas at three and I write horizontally in bed covered in biscuit crumbs. Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty good when it's, yeah. I would say the only place I have, much discipline in my life is if I've got a deadline for a novel and um, my writing studio has no internet. That's the only way I ever write because the internet is too seductive to me as it is, I think for most people and they'll go off, you know, I'll take time off Instagram because as soon as I go on it, I get sort of engaged and, um, and then that takes time away. 
but I mean, I, I don't have a PA or anything like that. I don't sort of generate enough. I don't know. I, I do just focus on the novel writing really. And then of course, a few bits and bobs, but um, no, I, I don't, I'm not, I, I work better in the evenings, um, which I think is a hangover from school and university. And, uh, but I know other novelists who are much better than me. They just say, sorry, no, I don't answer emails. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm, and I think, cause I used to be a PA. So I think I'm quite organized with my life, my, um, the sort of more businessy side of things. So I would be a nightmare to have a PA because I'd PA the PA. I'd micromanage the PA. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, um, that's about control. That's about like, I feel like with emailing and having my opinion heard about things and being me doing my Instagram and all of that, that's about, because I think another thing that happened with the miniatures was I was very destabilizing was the sense that my public persona or my face and myself and was just like totally out of my control, even on a small scale. Like I can't imagine what it's like for someone, you know, like an actress or a singer, because that's so much more kind of publicly consumed. Um, and so by having my own control over all of that, I feel like I can, I'm, I'm more in control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can pick and choose as and when you share when you're in the mood. And that's what's quite nice about Instagram. Um, yeah. But with the fact that you wrote The Miniaturist alongside a full-time job, it's crazy how you think, well, I did it that way once. So mm. in a way, having all this time should make it slightly easier, but I feel like it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely doesn't. And I, I, you know, again, another thing that I get from, from unpublished writers or people who want to be published is, you know, should I give up my job? I'm like, definitely don't do that. <laughs> I think what, um, I mean, I didn't really enjoy my job. Um, it was temping in order to literally pay the rent. But what that created in me was a real hunger for it not to be the case, for something to change, for that to be temporary. And so when I did have the opportunity and the resources to go full-time writing, that was structureless. It was like there was nothing, I was not fighting anything to write. And it's awful what happens to you, but you're like, oh, yeah, I can start at four because I don't need to, you know, whereas... With the first novel, there was this kind of determination to do it. So it was in the evenings and, it, and, you know, genuinely I was writing it on my phone in the commute in or at the weekends. And then without that um, obstacle, I had nothing to define myself against. It was just acres of time. And I do remember my mum saying to me, well, when the miniature is sold, she's like, well, are you going to get a job now? I'm like hello, writing is my calling, it's my job. And now I think about, it, gosh, she's quite right. I should have got a part-time job or something to sort of like balance it out. And also, because I think it's very oh, weird for people to just live and write alone. Like we don't work with other people. And I remember when the first lockdown happened last February and March and just feeling like the world was mourning their new work from home situation, which was working alone in front of a computer. And I realized that they were collectively bemoaning my fate as it had been for six years, just like alone. Yeah. And it does affect you, 
you know, and I'm quite, um, I miss rehearsal rooms. I'm quite sociable. I love the company of exciting people who make me laugh or, you know, we have a group project or something and that's been hard. So yeah. And that's probably another reason why I'll take a break. I think. I know that you get a lot of questions on your Instagram to do with writing process. So you must answer these things all the time, but it feels like, this core message, which I, I love is, is your sort of this communication about how you kind of have to want to do it. That's the main thing. Uh, you can have the, yeah. like the amazing laptop or the special pen or the, the, the five hours free every day. But actually the one thing you need is like you said at the beginning, kind of this, this obsession that won't go away. And also while I remember, I do have to say thank you to you because that was a massive influence on me. I read an interview with you years ago where you said you wrote it on your phone and you would email yourself and you'd write you know it was just (laughs) and I was like thank you someone has finally told the truth I guess about this this the scattiness or the the creative Mm. process that isn't polished and neat and tidy and and that's how I managed to write my own book so thank you yeah well good for you and exactly I think there is an absolute fetishization of writing that happens and it drives me up the wall the idea that you need Uh, yeah like you say a particular laptop or a particular setup and I think Instagram has a lot to answer for with that like the kind of flat lay of the cappuccino or the flat white and the fern and then you're in the coffee shop I'm like what the hell are you doing like what are you taking a photo of that for go and write a chapter you know but I think it's it's always fascinated me that I just feel in our society, people feel more likely that they will write a novel than that, you know, they'll become a ballerina with the Royal Ballet or a a violinist in the Royal Philharmonic or have their paintings hanging in the tape. It feels like there's, um, there's a formula to writing. And if you crack it, or if you ask someone how to do it, then you'll do it. And I just think, and another thing that I'm always asked is how do you keep going? And like you, you said it, you know, you have to really, really want it, but you have to, there is, there are things that fall by the wayside. You have to sacrifice things. And I have, you know, I have done that and I have been, well, selfish isn't the word, but bloody minded. There's things I've said no to, and there's a, a way of living that has been hard. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not asking for the tiny violin, but it's just, you've, you, you make your choice of what matters. And I think, I think that's hard Mm. for people sometimes to accept. I mean, not actually in my family and friendship group, but um, most people are very sympathetic. Um, But then I always have to remember, like, no one makes us do this, so we can't, like, complain. (laughs) We just hand back the contract and the money and find another way to make a living. But that's never going to (laughs) happen. But I must say, having had a go now at writing a novel I found that it's made me much better at realizing that things take time and it's Mm. made me I was actually talking to a friend recently who's an architect and she was like oh I've just signed off on this building that I'm going to work with someone on and it's going to take four years and I thought Mm. that is really how I want to perceive things you know it's going to take as long as it takes and in this sort of millennial validating culture um you know that is something I think we should all get better at novelist or not yeah. a novelist <laughs> no it's true and I think I've it's funny because I I always think of it as a long distance engagement with myself and that I don't think anything's going to be solved within 24 months really of having an idea minimum and 
I've learned a lot about myself and about, it's like the only thing in my life where I will have infinite patience and perfectionism. Whereas with so much else in my life, I'm like, want that, got to sort that out, got that done, you know. And I think that's because all of the patience and um, meditative kind of thinking and understanding that the first draft will not look anything like the fifth and is in the writing side of my life. So something else has to give. So there has to be some kind of gratification elsewhere because it's, God, it's long in the book world. Well, talking of that, of gratification, or at least lovely things that you can immediately have or, or look at, can we talk, talk about quickly your amazing environment that I only see through Instagram? <laughs> um, don't worry, I, you know, not talking you. But, You're not standing outside, but it, are you? But it does seem as though this creative side of you in terms of your your space and the colors on your wall and your amazing furniture do you think that does have an impact on your process oh god yeah um well i mean it definitely has it's it definitely has an impact on my well-being on my state of mind um i have always loved color and painting and patterns um I find it really quite necessary. I can't, I can't really hack. I, I really envy minimalists and that beautiful, you know, like things you see on the modern house or like Instagram or wherever, just they've got nothing in their houses. I'm like, where, where are the trinkets? When someone's um, got a wardrobe <laughs> with one t-shirt hanging up. <laughs> like what? You just know that they've got some like crappy cupboard somewhere that they're not showing us. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's been that's been a feature of me and my life for so long like decorative items holding some kind of talismanic power and reassurance and pleasure and aesthetic stimulation and you know i remember when i was temping and i had to go into next and buy like a business outfit i couldn't bring myself to do it i would always like buy like a florally thing that i could definitely wear elsewhere like I just couldn't do it. And, you know, I think of um, the miniaturist and all the things in it, all the little miniatures and how much, you know, the characters imbue meaning in. And of course, by proxy, I must be doing that with my things. Um, and recently I was at my parents' house and I found all my Sylvanian families and they were kept pristine. Like I really honored them. And now I'll have brightly colored wallpapers and I feel like sometimes I've decorated a full-size doll's house for myself um and I'm very lucky to be able to have done that and that's never gonna change I said to my partner like you know if we ever move I think you know next time I will paint the walls like calico white and he's like that's not gonna happen Jess like you're not gonna do that you're gonna see a pot on eBay you're gonna see a vase and that'll be it so yeah, they, it means a lot to me, all of those bits. I love but then, that. God, yeah. It's like the opposite of the algorithm trying to make us all the same. I just love those little like, <laughs> bits and bobs that you see around and you just, yeah, you're just building your own doll's house, like you say. Yeah. It's so lovely. Um, so last question. Nightmare to dust though. <laughs> oh yeah, <Yes>. sorry. <laughs> last question was around the House of Fortune that has been announced. Mm. And I remember yelping yes. when I got the Waterstones email. Um, <laughs> How did you 
know this was the time how like how does it feel yeah. and we can pre-order it so mm. I wanted to give it a little shout out at the end oh thank you yeah it felt it felt right I mean so I even as early as 2016 I wrote a scene of um Cornelia the maid talking to Nella and then I I realized it wasn't right it wasn't the time but and of course like after the book all finished and all that I was like I never want I cannot go back to that world again but it really does occupy a very different space in my mind the landscape of the miniaturist compared to my other novels it's like when I say it's more of a, I have a more of a childlike sensation when I think of it that is not to diminish it it's just there's a sense of make-believe and potentiality and possibility to it that it's all there and it just, I just had other things I wanted to do, like, you know, the confession and Muse and Medusa and all these other things that were there and I wanted to engage with. But it kept coming back to me, like that world. And weirdly, I was in Suriname, which is a tiny country on the top of the coast of South America, which was the ex-colony of the Dutch. And I was there because I wanted to see it because that was where all the sugar plantations were that funded Amsterdam's wealth in part. And I was going, this was 2018. I'm bad with years, maybe 17. And um, there was this, I went on this dot, like really long river trip to this um, hut in the middle of, well, it's sort of where the top of the Amazon starts. And the only English book that they had in the shelves was The Miniaturist. And I was like, that's really weird. That's <laughs> just, amazing. Just, yeah, because it's it's a Dutch speaking and they speak Stran and Tongo as well. But Dutch is the, still the official language. So it's the only book there. And I did find that very eerie. And The Miniaturist is always, it's weird. Like The Miniaturist has always thrown up signs to me and I'm not, not, I don't tend to be a person who's like, it's a sign, but... Oh, I'm so into that. Thought, oh, this means <laughs> I, something. <laughs> I did sort of think, yeah, and I wanted, and I wanted to go... I, want, I felt ready. I, and I did an event, actually, at Cheltenham with Sam Baker for the confession, but also for the miniaturist, like a kind of retrospective look. Lol, I mean, God, <laughs> you know, it wasn't that long ago, but... She said to me, the way I spoke about the miniatures was very different. It was like I was kind of suffused with something. And I think that's natural because with the confession, it's a new book. It was new at the time. So I was just a bit more tentative, not quite sure how to talk about it because it's so raw. Whereas a book that you've written a long time ago, you can be a bit more, the edges have been sanded off a bit. But she did say, you know, and I knew at that point that I had signed a contract to write the, the follow-up. I didn't say anything because I just it wasn't written. So I was just like... But that was interesting to me. And as soon as I started talking to the audience about it, it was like there was this different energy. And as soon as I started writing Nella, she was there. My editor pointed that out as well. She was like, it's like she's sort of synthesized to who you are. And in this version, Nella is 37. Um, so she's grown up a bit with me. And yeah, it just, I mean, it, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, right? I've thrown away hundreds of thousands of words to get to the book that it is now. Um, but it was like meeting old friends. It was a bit like taking some old toys out of a toy box and lining them all up and seeing what they're going to do. But it, I wanted to be very careful not to 
not to make a kind of pastiche of the miniaturist, like in terms of tone or, or, or atmosphere, and but also to honour that book, but bring it on. Mm-hmm. So it's 18 years on. And I think I've succeeded. Oh my I hope I am. I'm so excited. I can't <laughs> tell you. And just to, to hear you talk about the energy that you had, the feeling you have, because I've interviewed so many writers now and I feel like there is this common theme that there needs to be a feeling. There needs to be, mm-hmm. it needs to like palpably live and feel like it's ready to be born in a weird way. And wow. No, totally. I I think all of that kind of, I used to really resist all the sort of pregnancy and, um, you know, gestation metaphors. But actually, when you think about it, whether you're a man or a woman writing a book, you are nurturing something very private inside of you. And then at some point it comes out and it's not yours anymore. Mm-hmm. And you can't look after it as guardedly as you have. And um, it has to be born. And that's, you know, as readers, that's our luck when, when writers that we love feel like that, I suppose. Exactly. So I just hope that they feel like that when they get their little mitts on it. Oh, they absolutely mm. will. Well, thank you. Cause it really is, I, I, you know, the year we've just had as well, or should I say two years, um, oh, you know, no. your favorite author coming out with a new book, like these are the moments we were thinking, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, thanks yeah, so much for true. doing this. I love how you speak about how you make your art and I, and how you live your life. And if I could talk to you again for another episode one day, I want to ask you about your travel and solo travel, and maybe you'll be doing more traveling. Well, who knows? Maybe. I'd love to. Oh, well, thank you so much for talking to me about uh, your work. And Medusa is out now. I will leave a link below. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Emma.